Coach Reed is such a such a monumental figure in my life looking back and his mindset and his temperament really was a, a huge asset to the buildup and the, the confidence building that went into into that, not just on a team chemistry or a team level, but on an individual level. He really was a master at being able to to lift you up and make you believe that you could do this. And I think that as we gained that gained that momentum through those seasons and in the buildup towards '95, when we finally hit our stride in '95, there were times where I think that. Uh, it would have been hard for the Dallas Cowboys to beat us. We just had so much confidence and momentum. And when things fell into place, it was just magical. Welcome to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. I am Ryan Tutel, along with Colton Nuanez. We are happy in this episode to welcome Eric Simonson. Eric Simonson came to the University of Montana as an athletic but undersized offensive lineman from Plentywood, Montana. But by the time he graduated in the 1995 season, which was his senior year, he had grown into his frame and finished playing football as a first-team All-American. That 1995 season proved to be very memorable for Eric Simonson as he won a national championship and graduated, but also was married and welcomed the birth of his first son. Simonson has returned to the Plentywood area where he continues to work on his family's ranch, and he was good enough to take a break from the harvest to sit on a hill and talk to us about that magical season 25 years ago. Please enjoy this episode of Grizz Greats with Eric Simonson. Eric, we appreciate you coming on and being with us and so very much to get to, but I want to start with this. You're from Plentywood. You've returned to Plentywood all these years later. Talk to us about Plentywood, Montana and life on a ranch uh, in, uh, in, in, in wide open country in the state of Montana. Yeah, I, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk to you. Um, you know, up here, uh, like I like I said, it's not the end of the earth, but you can see it from here. Right. And uh, we, <laughs> it gets a little sparse in the population when you get out into the eastern side of the state. Uh, the uh, the terrain changes, but uh, the people don't. And the state of Montana is a great community. Um, I think that that's one thing that really kind of binds us together is uh, the football program, like. Uh, the university has there and the commonality that 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 gives uh to you know the the state and its people so it's a wonderful thing to be visiting with you guys today up here on the ranch we're trying to finish up harvest this year in the 2020 season and uh looking forward to the first day of fall today when it comes to go, going back in in uh, in your memory here, when it comes to growing up in a place like Plentywood and obviously starting to play sports, play football, but what do you remember about those times going back into you know even middle elementary school and then obviously into high school playing uh, playing there and just living there? Yeah, you know, it's small town community, rural based, of course. You know, we grew up on the family farm uh, and uh, out in out in the rural landscape, so we would bounce back and forth between, uh, between that and town. And as we, as we got older, we spent more and more time in the sports community playing, uh, you know, a wide range of sports. You know, we played everything. My brothers and I, I, I had two younger brothers. We played everything from baseball, basketball, football. We did track and field. Uh, we'd even try our hand at golf, you know, when the opportunity presented itself. So we, we had a broad base of uh, athletic um, opportunities that were afforded to us. And we tried to try to take advantage of all of that um growing up uh going into middle school and high school um the football program was you know had a good solid base in plentywood uh the paulson boys had come through there on you're familiar with craig paulson who was one of the assistant coaches on that 95 team mm-hmm. and he had a large family with uh of uh brothers and uh they had they had great success coming up through the 70s and 80s and uh, had Plentywood in, in, you know, pretty good standing as far as athletics go. And uh, so it was, uh, 
it was a good um, rural landscape to bring up, you know, some uh, young families, and and it was a it was a great experience overall, um, just being in that small community with uh, with uh, with the people up here. I was thinking about this exact element uh, actually earlier this week because former Grizz outstanding defensive lineman Mike Tillman he passed away here in in late September. And I wrote a story on Mike for the Montana Football Hall of Fame when we inducted him back in 2017. And he said that growing up, I didn't really need to figure out where the weight room was because all I had to do was get up and go to work every day. He said I I was stronger going to the NFL without ever touching a weight than any of my peers because I knew I bucked about 20,000 bales every single summer. Do you see a parallel there, though, just between growing up rurally like you did with an ag background and, and, and football because it is so related to, to hard work and strength and discipline and things like that? Yeah, without a doubt, and I think that translates you know, in large part across the state, but in particular to the ag community, you know, as growing up, you know, we, like I, I can really appreciate what he was talking about there. I mean, you're out, you're out bucking square hay bales, or I remember back in the day, you know, growing up, my, me and my brothers, we'd get up in the morning and go to two-a-day football practice. We'd come home in the afternoon. They, they wouldn't practice in the middle of the afternoon because it was too hot. But as farm kids, we'd go home and we'd either have to shovel out grain bins or, or go uh, buck a bunch of hay bales. And then we'd go back in the evenings, and then we'd uh, have another practice and do a do a weight workout. So it was uh, it definitely builds a lot of fortitude and uh, and uh, and and a strong backbone. And it it you know it it, it really readies you for for life and the challenges that'll be presented to you down the road. You know, in Plentywood, I believe you're closer to New York City than to Missoula, as it turns out. And uh, But, no, it, it is interesting, though, because growing up in that egg community, obviously Montana State is the egg school of, of, you know, the state of Montana. What was it when you were coming through high school that you said, you know, I, I want to go to the University of Montana? What was that recruiting process like? And in general, what other opportunities or considerations did you have about, about what to do when you finished up high school at Plentywood? Yeah, I I had um, I had known about the you know uh, the entirety of my and really being around the Paulson boys. They were there were several of Craig's brothers that were coaches either through little league program or high school programs, and so um, they were obviously big Grizz big supporters, and that was kind of the core of the push for uh, the University of Montana up here. There's a lot of Bobcat contingent up here being the egg being the relation to the egg school. Well, there was a draw there. My, interestingly enough, my younger brother Ken actually um, took a scholarship to the University of, or to Montana State uh, when he graduated from high school in ninety. What would he have been ninety four? And so he actually went and enrolled there. I looked at the Bobcats. They didn't have much interest in me um, from a football standpoint. I actually got to the uh, program there and. Um, a scholarship through the ROTC that at that time they they felt like I I could try out for the football team and they had shown a little bit of interest that way but University of Montana was the school that was showing the most interest for me I did have several other um, recruiting trips lined up with um, peripheral schools you know and some of them were 1A programs Wyoming uh, University of Washington Washington State and they weren't really after me like the like the University of Montana was, and I think that uh, a large part of that was just from the familiar familiarity that uh, they had through the Paulson connection, and so that's where it just felt like a, the right fit for me. And once I had visited Missoula and um, gotten to know the community and the the team and the coaches the coaching structure that they had developed there over the, over the course of that build, I really felt comfortable with uh, the fit and um, got really excited about after I met some of the other recruits that, that they had were bringing in, that that was just going to be the right decision for me. And uh, it was just one of those, one of those things where I made the decision. I never looked back. Craig Paulson, the original number 37, how big of a deal was he in Plentywood? I mean, did you guys look up to him when you were kids? Oh, I mean, yeah, he's, he's the king of Plentywood. I mean, 
when he'd come back, they'd hold a parade with the fire trucks and everything down Main Street. And, and uh, <laughs> but he, he uh, no, he was a legend up here. He, he pretty much uh, single-handedly um, won, the, won the state championship for Plentywood back in, the, back in the day when he was playing. I think that he was the, the punter, kicker, quarterback, running back, receiver. I think he did everything for him. And, uh, and so he was definitely, definitely a big, uh, influence on, on, uh, on a lot of kids growing up in Plentywood. You know, for kids coming out of high school, going to play uh, sports at the university of Montana, you know, even in the mid nineties, it's such an interesting deal because you get some kids from urban centers, you know, on the West coast and so forth, the Bay, Los Angeles, Seattle, they come to Missoula. They think this is, this is like lonely here. Nobody's here. You come from Plentywood. It's the biggest city in the world, right? It's got stoplights and everything else. It's amazing. So what was your experience like coming to Missoula from that rural background? And what was your experience just of being in, you know, a city, a major city by Montana standards? Yeah, it was definitely definitely a change. Like you say, you know, you you have stoplights that you have to learn to negotiate, and uh, <laughs> and then the the interpersonal workings with some of the other um, you know players and such. You know, some of those kids were coming from some of the biggest schools in the West Coast. You know, the five A schools in Washington, and and um, there's definitely definitely a, a divergence of uh, of dynamic and and perspective there, and it's uh, it's pretty eye opening. I mean, it, it's a great experience. And, um, and it's one that I wouldn't, uh, I would not regret for sure. It was, it was, it was really a unique and, uh, and fun time in my life and, uh, and, uh, very thankful for that. Talk, can you talk a little more about that? Because I think that that is one of the most interesting things about, about college football and especially in some of the more rural university settings, you know, across the Midwest, the Intermountain West, et cetera, because you do pull from incredibly rural places and major population bases and mixing those two groups who often would never really cross paths and not just mixing. I mean, you're, you're brothers, right? I mean, you're in there in the locker room. You're, you're living your whole life four or five years just together across the board what was that like to try and have a guy from plentywood a guy from seattle a guy from glendive a guy from from san francisco all together in the same place over the course of time you know it, it, it it's interesting on um, you know because i think from different perspectives there's different you know there's different there's different um you know um interpretations of it um i think it, i think there's value from all sides for that speaking personally from myself i mean I literally played every sport and virtually every position that, you know, with, within reason. And so I was coming uh, to transition to uh, an avenue where I was going to be playing one position and have one goal of, of perfecting that position, which was a, which was a drastic change from, you know, the diversity that I had experienced before and where you had other other players coming in from the West coast who are maybe, uh, strictly, you know, strictly a left tackle or strictly, um, a quarterback, you know, we had, we had such a, uh, vast array of, of skills that we had developed, but not really perfected. And I think that the credit, there's a lot of credit that needs to be dealt out to, you know, the coaches and the recruiters that were able to recognize some of the raw, um, under, you know, undercalibrated talent that 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 they were able to bring in and develop into um you know really great players um from from really raw stock grizz greats the silver anniversary of the 1995 national champions is Sponsored by First Security Bank and Coulter, while well, First Security has long been a supporter of the University of Montana and UM Athletics, people might be surprised to know how much First Security Bank in fact influenced the University of Montana program and the path they were on directly. Back in 1993, the Grizz were on their way to their second ever berth in the Division One AA playoffs. Previously, in 1989, the only other time Montana had made it to the Division One AA playoffs, and at that time. First round home games awarded via a bidding process. And so to help support the Grizz football team as well as fortify the faith throughout the community of Missoula, Bill Boucher, former president of First Security Bank, stepped up to the table to help the University of Montana guarantee any potential revenue lost for the first round of the playoffs. And of course, 
that was recouped in a big way as the University of Montana in 1993 then started the first of 17 straight playoff berths. And in 1995, that local optimism was turned into national prominence as Montana made a run all the way to the 1995 National Championship. First Security Bank is proud to sponsor Grizz Greats and this 25-part podcast series commemorating the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions for Security Bank a proud supporter of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. Was Plentywood, when you were growing up, were you, were you guys playing 8-man or were you guys playing 11-man? We were still 11-man at that point. They've since dropped down 8-man. Uh, and uh, currently, actually, with the rural uh, population decline, uh, they're, I believe they're going to be going to 6-man at some point. But there's, you know, there's some dynamic change within the Montana High School Association on uh, all these uh, class lines right now but that's a it's really a struggle in rural rural america holding holding the population um you know steady so yeah we've talked about that with with actually bobby Houck and and through kind of craig paulson because you know paul i've asked the question for a long time for a long time you looked at university of montana's offensive lines and they were made up of largely Guys from Montana, like yourself, you look at the offensive line you played on. You know, Mike Agee's from Kalispell, Dave Kempford's from Missoula. You look at some of the great offensive lines in the early 2000s when they won that championship. I think every single guy on the 2001 National Championship team was from Montana, too. And I've always asked Coach Alk, you know, why is it that there's not as many offensive linemen from Montana? And he's talked about exactly what you're talking about, the fact that farming, ranching, it's changed so much. The, the technological advancements have made it so you don't need as many bodies to run a farm right and that's caused for population decline on that side of the state and then and therefore has caused for less big guys like yourself to come from from that side of the state and i think it's impacted both the football programs at large from that element just watching a town like you have that you grew up in and then left and then returned to evolve like it has for better or for worse but obviously just different what's that part been like what are some of the biggest changes you've noticed in in plenty one in your community well, a lot in a lot of ways, uh, not much has changed. Obviously, with the you know the uh, advance in technology, uh, there's there's a lot more opportunity. I I noticed my children, who are going through the school system, have uh, a lot more opportunity of a of a diversity of learning. Where with some of the online online um, aspects that they've been afforded, so a lot of that has changed in in a good way. Um, like you say, with technology comes a, a change in the landscape where it takes fewer and fewer people to operate on, the, you know, more, you know, just the operations continue to grow larger and larger. And being an ag-based community, it's, um, it's shrunk our, our communities. So we've kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit with the, with the oil field um, boom and bust cycles over the, I mean, that's been going on for the last, you know, four or five decades, I, I would, I would estimate. And so it's just kind of a slow, a slow degradation in, in population that uh, is affecting, you know, not only main street, but the high school um, enrollments and, and all aspects of life, really. Eric, let's bring you back to the university of Montana and you enroll at, at the university. And as you said, you know, you played every sport and every position that there was possible for you to play, but maybe hadn't really dialed into, you know, being just an offensive lineman and working on the craft of that and the skill of that. As you developed at the University of Montana and developed into an All-American level player, what, how, how did that happen? How did that progress happen, uh, not just so quickly, but so well to, to achieve the heights that you did, obviously as a team in 95, but also individually? It was, it was a transformation uh, and a long and a long process um, of it. it. The template had been set before I before I arrived, and at, I, I believe it was Coach Reed and the and and his staff that had had really taken kind of um, with the offensive style that they were pursuing. They needed athletes on the offensive line, and they needed um, um, guys with good footwork, not not your traditional. Um, you know, offensive linemen who, you know, could run the ball and pass block. They wanted, they wanted offensive line. It, and I, I shouldn't put words in their mouths, but from my perspective, it seemed to me that they were looking for 
good athletes and turning them into offensive linemen. And they did it very successfully in quite a few cases. I think about some of the players that were before me in, in uh, I mean, obviously Kirk Scrafford, uh, Chad Germer. I mean, even Scott Gregg, he wasn't really, uh, there's a reason that he came to the University of Montana and didn't go to a, a major program because he wasn't truly a, a bludgeoning, you know, offensive lineman um, he, he was a bit of a bit of a project when he came to. He was one of my great friends. Uh, he played on the right side, and he's kind of the epitome of what they were doing, you know, in turning, taking guys with great feet, you know, typically basketball player type players um, with great feet, big frames, and then asking them to convert themselves into these um, in, in the tackle frame, uh, especially in that that world. So. That process, because when you come from a small town or or regardless of where you come from, when you're coming to uh, the University of Montana, the Big Sky Conference, chances are as an offensive lineman, you're going to have some work to do either physically or skill-wise or both. And so when you first came to the University of Montana and you realized, okay, I'm going to be playing offensive tackle and I need to start putting on the pounds, I need to start putting on the strength, what was that process like to prepare yourself for that both physically and mentally because it seems like it's such a tall task? Oh, it was absolutely one of the biggest challenges that I that I faced was the physical transformation. I was my senior year of high school football. I, I was barely over 200, you know, maybe 220 pounds, what they listed me at, and that was probably with my shoulder pads on. And then, um, you know, if I was going to play basketball, which I had played basketball all the way up to my senior year until I decided to that that I really needed to focus on the football. I was traveling around, uh, walking around at about 195 as a senior, you know, and and until I really committed myself to, to starting to build my body and, and put on the, 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 the girth that I was going to need to be successful. And then even at that, um, walking into the, into the University of Montana and seeing the, the people that were ahead of me, you know, the, the Jason Closes and the, the Damon Galbraiths and some of those guys, and then the Scott Greggs, I mean, these are, these are monuments of, of men, just humongous individuals and and it it truly was a daunting uh physical physical task to be able to take on and uh, one uh, one that uh really continued for my entire career while i was there uh that was a true challenge eric when you got to the university of montana we understand that your roommate was some guy named dave do we have that right yeah. Well, not when I first got there. Um, we uh, we uh, we traveled the same you know same lines obviously with uh, with being being in football, and then we both were um, residents of Craig Hall uh, our freshman year. And then as we as we were moving up, we had become we had become really close friends, and uh, so we we ended up being roommates uh, throughout the entirety of uh, pretty much the entirety of our college experience, and uh, it was. It was a it was a great experience for me uh, to have him as uh, as uh, you know my my uh, partner to travel through that uh, through that experience and and uh, I can't think of a better guy that uh, I would have wanted to do that with. You know, it's interesting because a lot of times you know the offensive lineman is always thought of as this unit both on and off the field, and they're always hitting the buffet table together and doing the the big guy thing, you know, all, all, all the time. But obviously, you get you know you're protecting the quarterback and that. What was it about Dave and you that clicked when you got there that you became such good friends and 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 made a a, a run together through the University of Montana that was football, that was off the field, that was everything, you know, where you you guys connected in that way. Well, I think part of part of Dave, you know, part of Dave and his success is his um, just broad-based talents or interests, and and it really kind of um, co-aligned with what way that I had been raised and growing up, and so we had a lot of commonality. Uh, we enjoyed we enjoyed the multitude of different sports. I mean, we played golf together. We'd we'd go play handball, you know, and and. Uh, and we would spend, uh, you know, a lot of time just playing various, various competitive, you know, things like cards and, and bowling and, and things like that. So there was a lot of, uh, just a lot of commonality between us and our, our, and in large part, our upbringing, surprisingly. 
and the way that we were uh, the way that we were raised. So we just kind of clicked and uh, and formed a formed a good friendship. And but in large part, the the entire team and the and the community surrounding it were made up of of just a tremendous amount of quality individuals. And and uh, when I think back on the experience, you know, in hindsight from 25 years later, I just think of uh, the value that was developed in the brotherhood of, uh, of the entire community and the, and the team and how there was very little strife or division amongst us. And I think that that really led in large part to the success that we had. You know, one of the things about Dave Dickinson that everybody will tell you is just that competitive, you know, edge that he's got always. And regardless of the thing, and it sounds like that was something that brought you guys together is all the different games, the sports, the cards, whatever it might be. What, what do you remember about that, that side of Dave Dickinson when you're just, you know, playing cribbage or going to the bowling alley or whatever it is and trying to uh, trying to go heads up with him? Well, the thing, the thing about Dave is he hates losing, first of all. And I, it doesn't matter if it's if it's playing smear or bowling or tiddlywinks. He's going to find some <laughs> way to win, and if he doesn't, he's going to be angry about it. <laughs> some of the some of the things. I mean, and that that's kind of where you know a lot of people talk about the magic, the magic that he had, and and uh, the guy. I tell you, he was just an incredible, an incredible anomaly where he could he could literally pick up anything and be competitive with it and you know just find a way to do that uh one of the stories that i remember from back when we were we were going to school was he had gone home for the summer and i don't know if you guys have maybe heard this before but uh he was we would always watch bowling on tv you know on the on the weekends and stuff like that and where we'd be going bowling so he was he was a pretty avid bowler but he ended up at the bowling alley to watch uh, walter ray williams junior who was a professional bowler at the time put on an exhibition and he was supposed to play like the uh you know have a, a competition against like the, the city champion um of great balls and so dave dave standing there in the back you know of the crowd and uh the city champion was sick or got delayed and he couldn't show up and they look around and they say well is there anybody here that can step in for this you know it's kind of a charity event and somebody yells out you know have Dave do it. <laughs> he, just, <laughs> he has his ball. Of course, he has his ball bag in the back of his car. He goes out and gets it. <laughs> and the way that I remember it, and maybe Dave will have a different different take on this, but it took all the way till the ninth frame, and and it, uh, it, for Walter to beat him. And I think Walter had to strike out in the tenth, and it, the score ended up like two eighty two eighty five to two seventy something. You know. But Dave, uh, even to this day, I think he'll tell you that he was probably angry that he didn't pull that one out, you know. <laughs> Truly amazing. You mentioned, I heard you say in there, Schmier. And I know that uh, that's a popular game up in your neck of the woods, particularly if you make your way over to Outlook, Montana. Uh, Mr. Robin Silva, he likes to play himself some Schmier as well. <laughs> Where does that come from? Do you, do you still play that game, that card game? Oh, absolutely. You know, we play, we play, uh, we play smear, we play whist, we play all those old school games. And, and we, you know, we, uh, back, back when we were, you know, playing, playing ball, there'd be, there'd be downtime and, you know, you spend time with your teammates and we would have, we would have a group. Um, it would be Dave and I and Johansi Manzanares and uh, Mike Kowalski, Jamer Bartel. I mean, there'd be just a big group of us and we'd always get together and we'd have, poker nights or smear you know smear nights and play play uh play spades or, or smear or you know all sorts of games and and uh i think that that really lent to the success that we had on the field was the the community that we built outside football as being just uh just friends and and really what turned into a, a large family 
Managing the security of your business network is a full-time job. Why not take it off your daily list of things to think about and call Blackfoot Communications? With Blackfoot Managed Security Services, you can tap into our expertise to deploy, maintain, and monitor your network security from the edge to the endpoint. Spend no more time worrying about safe business transactions and communications. Call today, 541-5000, or go to blackfootbusiness.com. Blackfoot, connect to more. Well, Eric, when you start playing at the U and, uh, you know, Coach Reed has been there now for, for, you know, five, six years when you arrive and the program has, you know, ebbed and flowed coming into Coach Reed's tenure, but it's really growing and sort of headed in the right direction clearly as you get there. And your sophomore and junior years, those are really, really good Montana Grizzly football teams. And obviously, your junior year, Dave got hurt, you know, down the stretch and then couldn't play kind of in the, that playoff run. And we know about the Delaware game, obviously, and, and that. But as you're headed into that 95 season, what level of confidence did you have just based on the what you had seen out of this team, even though you did graduate a lot of great players off of that 94 club? Yeah, we had a lot of confidence. Uh, you know that that group of um, that group of players that graduated in '96 were up and coming at that point, going into '90, the '95 season, and they had a lot of talent in that in that age group. We um, we really had developed over the years. Those, those '90, the '93 and '94 teams were super competitive teams, and. To be honest with you, I really feel like, you know, in hindsight, we were close. We were really close to having the success that we did in 95. I think part of it was we, we maybe didn't, you know, believe that we, you know, we could compete on that national stage. Uh, so it was kind of a building process. And it's interesting, Coach Reed is such a, such a monumental figure in my life looking back and his mindset and his temperament really was a, a huge asset to the to the buildup uh, and the the confidence building that went into into that. Not just on a team chemistry or a team level, but on an individual level. He really was a master at being able to to lift you up and make you believe that you could do this. And I think that as we gained that gained that momentum through those seasons and and um, in the buildup towards 95, when we finally hit our stride in 95, there were times where I think that uh, it would have been hard for the Dallas Cowboys to beat us. We just had so much confidence and momentum. And when things fell into place, it was just magical. That element, that dynamic of, of maybe having to get knocked down so that you can get back up and learning how to believe that you can reach the mountaintop. I mean, how much of that did you guys experience? Because you mentioned 1993 and 1994, great teams, runs in the playoffs, and then falling short, you know, whether it was the one-point loss to Delaware in 93 or, you know, hitting the wall that was Youngstown State in that dynasty in 94. Do you think those catered to your mindset coming into 1995? Oh, without, without a doubt, it, it was a huge influence and, 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 like you say, a motivation for us to, to strive and to reach for the top and to realize that we could do that, you know, to realize that we were, you know, on the cusp of being ultra competitive on the national level. You know, the, the players that were there in those 93 and 90, 94 teams were really quality, um, really quality players and and quality individuals that, that, you know, could see that the, the momentum was building. And I, I remember the exit, you know, some of the exit of some of those guys, they, they were, you know, so positive and so inspir- inspirational to us saying, you know, you guys are really got something going here, finish the job, you know, you guys can do this, you can get to the top. And um, it, it really went to the mindset of, of not only, uh, you know, broadening and, and raising our goal, but being able to have the resiliency to, to stick with it. 
You know, I'm interested to know with Coach Reed, he talked about the type of guys that he wanted to run his offense, especially on the offensive line, being more of the athletic guys that could get out and block in space and do that kind of thing. Were you aware at the time of sort of the innovation of the style of offense that you were running? And and as you look back now, 25 years later, and see how much that has taken hold, maybe across football in general, what do you think about that? And and your place as as both a, a member of the offensive lineman as and as a team in general of what you guys were doing that side of the ball. Yeah, I I personally I recognize it. I think I think most of uh, most of the of the offensive players recognized it. Um, it was a it was a different way of thinking of, of, uh, offensive approach. And personally, I, I learned that, that coach Reed had actually written, uh, several books on, you know, the, I think they were, I, I can't remember the exact title of them, the art of passing or, you know, something along those lines, but he was, he really had an innovative mind and, uh, and approach took a different approach. And then it seems, it seems in, in hindsight that, that not only was his approach innovative to the style but also to the to the fitment of players, and and just a unique ability to take a player who had potentially been overlooked, and and was not the prototypic prototype for his position, but they they seem to be able to see within within individuals um, players who would would be able to excel at at their position, even though they didn't have, you know the the you know the prototypical skill set or or athletic ability or or you know the the size that would typically be successful at that and so it really kind of in my mind I think it kind of um, developed a lot of uh, uh, personality within the team of resiliency and and just kind of that chip on your shoulder that um, you know the, the little guy that could and quite quite literally I mean a lot of our receivers were were literally the little guys that could, you know, they, they wouldn't get a second mm-hmm. look from a lot of other programs, but they would bring in some of these guys like Matt Wells, Shellon Baker, um, guys who would probably not get a sniff at a division one division one school and turn them into unbelievable talents. You mentioned this earlier on in, in this interview, but the element of adjusting your mindset as an offensive lineman, because you guys not necessarily a traditional drive block zone block as much as hit the guy in front of you but then probably get out in the open field and block downfield because you guys threw so many screens you had so many guys operating in space when coach Denny he was teaching that kind of stuff I mean what was his coaching style like was that an adjustment for you guys and once you got it locked in how much of the of that came from just having a rhythm of doing something that's maybe a little bit unique for offensive linemen you know yeah from a lineman perspective it was it was a unique unique experience i mean we we quite literally i don't there might have been a few of those games we didn't run the ball at all (laughs) but the the mindset the mindset was that we would control the line of scrimmage or control the defense with the screen game like you say you know the screens were such a innovative part of that offense and, and something that was very hard to defend uh from a defensive perspective um rather than having the run game they 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 seemed to take the personnel that they were afforded and maximize the abilities within that, within that. And it, it was that unique combination that they, they were able to get to a click that really afforded us the, the, uh, the uh, opportunities and later on successes that we had from a lineman perspective. It's a tough offensive to play in because you have a, a defense who knows that you're going to pass the ball virtually 99% of the time. And so to, to be able to protect your quarterback is, is difficult just from that aspect. And then you add in the fact that Dickinson would literally hold the ball. I mean, part of his, part of his mindset was he was going to make every play count. And he, that, that kid, he would not throw the ball away. We'd get so mad at him as offensive linemen <laughs> because we'd be – it felt there was times we'd be blocking for a minute, you know. And, and <laughs> offenses, typical offenses, you're – you know, three seconds is all you got to hold these guys off. You know, three-step drop, get rid of the ball. But uh, 
it was uh it was a challenge and um you know in in the end obviously uh it worked out in that 95 season a lot of the guys have talked about that Washington State game which was a, a loss but one that you felt like hey we were really competitive and maybe even shoulda or coulda won that football game if things go a little bit differently and then a couple weeks later Boise State, number three team in the nation. I believe they had been in the uh, national championship game the, the, the season before. They come to Washington Grizzly. It's sold out over 18,000 people at that game, and you put it on Boise State, 54-28, the final of that football game. What do you remember about that game or others during the course of that regular season that you felt were kind of uh, uh, signposts heading to what was, what was a bit of destiny for the Montana Grizzlies? Yeah, it's interesting you bring up that Boise State game because in my mind that was that was really the pivotal the pivotal game in that season for for me personally, but I think for the team as a whole, we'd gone down to Boise the year before and they they blitzed us relentlessly. They really came up with a great game plan to beat us, and it really is the game that dissolved our season. That's the game that Dave got hurt in. Um, down there. I remember that play vividly in my mind um, that the injury to him, I was, I was chasing him down the sideline and that defensive tackle put his helmet right on the back of his leg. And he was, he was never able to come back from that the entire year. And we had it in our minds. And I remember speaking specifically with a lot of the players in that, in that week build up to that, that was our homecoming week. Um, it was a huge, huge game for us. And we really had the revenge on our minds. And when we were able to put that all together and really get the, you know, the, the confidence that we built through that game and the success that we had, I think went a long way to the, to the run-up to that title. Coulter, in 1993, the Grizz football team was looking to host its first playoff game of the decade and just its second season of playoffs in school history. As we know, you got to have some financial backing to guarantee a home game. And former First Security Bank president Bill Boucher stepped up, spearheading a group of local business owners to guarantee that bid for UM Athletics. And that commitment from First Security Bank to UM has never wavered. Bill Boucher, Gordy Fix, Several other business owners around the city of Missoula certainly had a huge influence in stepping up. Certainly some of the first true believers in what Grizz football could become and what they could mean to the Missoula community. Two years later, in 1995, the University of Montana had turned that local optimism into national prominence. The Grizz won the Division I AA National Championship, the first national title in the history of the university. And 25 years later, First Security Bank is still proud to sponsor the Grizzlies. First Security Bank, a presenting sponsor for Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, a 25-part podcast series remembering that epic 1995 season. First Security Bank, proud sponsor of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. Well, I'm glad you mentioned it because as we record this now, 25 years tomorrow, the anniversary of that football game. So you can uh, think about that as you're out on the, uh, on the fall harvest. That was a unique week for me. Uh, my son was born in, uh, during that week on, uh, on the Wednesday of uh, uh, Wednesday, let me think, Wednesday or Thursday of that week. So we, uh, we had my, my family personally, and I had a, had a huge week that week. Um, my wife was, was kind enough to uh, allow me to, uh, you know, stay engaged and fully engaged with the, with the football process. And um, she she took on a lot on her own during that time, but um, it was a it was a little overwhelming. But it was uh, an experience and uh, and a life changer that uh, that you know is still with me today. It's... I had not realized that uh, you had had your your first child way back then. So navigating your senior year in football, your senior year in college as well as having a newborn baby. That's a whole new element. I mean, what was that element like for you? Yeah, it was, uh, it was a huge challenge, but it was, uh, it was a true blessing. Um, my son, Marshall, uh, <laughs> aptly, aptly named for what would come. Right. Uh, How amazing you're, is that? You're a, you're a psychic. <laughs> That's amazing. 
<laughs> and that, that would actually, yeah, that would actually come into play later on the plane ride out to uh, West Virginia. Johanse, my my good friend Johanse, turned to me and he said, he said, man, Simon, he said, you're gonna you're gonna think about this game the rest of your life. He said, and if you win, you're gonna look at that boy and smile, and if you lose, you're gonna look at that boy and cringe. So I had a little bit more riding on that championship game than than most people did. But uh, yeah, just a, a kind of a zenith in in one of those one of those pinnacles in life where um, my my life you know experiences and and uh, and and uh, had had really come to a to a huge a huge uh, huge boiling point and. And uh, it was busy, and uh, and there were a lot of people who, you know, carried carried me through that and and supported me. And in large, you know, I, I give a lot of credit to the coaches and uh, and my teammates. And the that's where the community of of Grizz Nation really shone and showed its true colors for me. Well, happy 25th birthday to Marshall while we're at it, because I believe that just has come and gone now, if I've done my math correctly. So very, very good. I'm interested, uh, Eric, as we get to the postseason here, you have game number one against Eastern Kentucky, and then the chips just fall for you that you get uh, Georgia Southern and Stephen F. Austin, both at Washington Grizzly Stadium, both obviously Southern teams, both epically cold afternoons uh, from uh, from what everybody will tell you. And, I mean, you just can't be better than you guys were through the entire playoff run leading up to the national championship game. 48-45-70, only allowed 14 points over the course of that run. What do you remember about that run headed into Marshall and maybe the level of confidence that you were then playing with going into that national championship game? Yeah, we had uh, all three of those programs uh, in the early in those early playoff games were were stalwarts of the one one double eight um, landscape, and it was very fortuitous in in my my mind that those games were brought to Missoula, and that's a great credit to the community as a whole. You know the the boosters and the and the the business the business people in the community really selflessly pulled together and obviously you know there's there's a draw to have the the playoff games in missoula for the business side of things but these people were really wanted what's best for the program and i saw it in so many so many of the, those individuals just the the selfless work and tireless effort that they put towards that and and we'd seen it the years before there was great community support to get those um, get those games into Missoula, and that it's a tough place to play. That 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 Washington Grizzly Stadium just has a mystique and uh, uh, just a just a magic about it. That it, it's a very difficult place for teams to come in to play, and obviously the success that we had in those three lead-up games really gave us the ability to play uh, in the you know probably above our above our level in the final transitioning then away from playing in washington grizzly stadium you play so many games in a row the three straight playoff games in washington grizz and have all that momentum and then you got to go across the country to huntington west virginia to play what amounts to a home game for marshall in front of what i still believe is the largest crowd to ever watch an fcs football game a division one double a football game I know that there was several thousand Grizz fans there, but about ten times as many Marshall fans there as well. So leading up to the game, the pregame, what was the week like? What was the the morning like leading up to that national championship game when you're getting ready to play one of the best teams in the country, basically on their home field? Yeah, it was it was a great experience. Um, they they really do a nice job with that game, um, uh, taking care of the teams and and um, the, you know some of the festivities. Are a bit of a distraction, you know. Uh, you have you have several um, commingled uh, banquets and and award ceremonies and things such as that in the buildup towards the game itself. So that's a bit of a distraction. The coaches really worked hard to try to keep us um, in a routine that we had held, you know, on most of our away games. I think that uh, they did a great job along those lines. We'd been put into some, you know. Um, 
difficult environments such as Kansas State when we were when we were freshmen. We played out in Washington State. We played out at the University of Oregon. And so we were familiar going into that environment. The coaches did their best to really create in practice <laughs> uh, to try to replicate the environment that we'd be going into by blasting crowd noise in into the stadium while we were doing our walkthroughs and run-throughs leading up to the game. So they did, they did a really um, fantastic job in preparing us for what was coming. But to actually get on the ground and, and then to run into a team such as Marshall, the caliber of opponent and really kind of the inverse of, of being playing in the hostile environment of Washington Grizzly Stadium to your advantage, being in their hostile environment and uh, the challenges that that presented to us was, uh, was a monumental task. One thing that really jumped out to me in rewatching this game a couple of times now, especially in that first half, but their defensive front was outstanding for Marshall in that in that football game. And they were they were big and athletic and physical and you know, they got after Dave a little bit, especially in that first half. What do you remember about, you know, stepping on the field against that team, which was certainly one of, if not maybe the highest caliber defensive front you'd faced that season? It was it was difficult. It was very difficult because not only not only were we in their in their stadium with their with their crowd, but we were on uh, artificial turf, which takes the game and and speeds it up uh, exponentially over the over the natural surface. So they had they had an unbelievable front. They had uh, their team as a whole. I can remember um, I was walking walking through the coaches' offices in the lead up to the game. And I think it was uh, Coach Bruce Reed was commenting to, to Coach Reeves that their their kick return team, their front line blockers were every one of them was faster than our returners. <laughs> and they were they were struggling with how to game plan to beat this team, you know, and and saying you know, uh, alluding to the challenge that was ahead of us. And so to put an offensive lineman in a, in a hostile environment where you have that, that amplify, amplified crowd noise to where you can no longer um, hear the snap count, you're, you're set at a huge disadvantage in that environment, and then you're at another disadvantage of, of the offensive mindset and not having a run game to just move ahead. So you're constantly having to defend the, the pass rush of these defensive ends and and uh and um uh rush rush backers who are so fast and and to amplify that with the turf and the noise presented a huge challenge to the offensive line that day blaine mcamory told us he thought they grew this grass long at washington grizzly stadium on purpose to make sure everybody knew how not slow you guys were (laughs) what do you think of that element (laughs) it was there was more than there, there was more than one way that an advantage was created at Washington Grizzly Stadium, and I got to give a shout out to to uh, Steve Hackney and the and the grounds crew, and I mean they they uh, they were able to create an environment that uh, was of great benefit to the to the home team for sure. You know, you go through that home game and everything you know that that was at play in that the the, the great football team, the hostile environment, et cetera. But at the end of the day, you only trailed at one point in this football game. It just so happened that point was with a little over four minutes left in the football game. And now you are down one and basically have the drive of the game that you got to put together. What do you what do you remember about that final drive and going, okay, this is the one that we absolutely have to have come hell or high water and and then go out and make it happen? Oddly enough, I don't remember it being – truly pressureful at that point. I, I mean, we, obviously we knew the, we knew the, um, the time was winding down, but we, we had developed a mindset during those prior years that we just had an innate confidence in what we were doing. And, and obviously a lot of that ro- revolved around, you know, the signal caller and Dickinson and the, the prior experiences that we had had in, in whether it was, in you know comebacks or in you know winning winning those tight games in the past 
and I think one advantage that that team had is we had so much experience, uh, so many experienced players at key positions, and I think that that's what really led to the calm that the team experienced. We, I, I remember from from my perspective, uh, in my mind, we just we just knew what we had to do, and we were going to get it done. Well, you did get it done, and it culminated with Andy Larson, you know, hitting the the what became the game winner. Thirty nine seconds left. You kind of hold on with the defense going out there on the field for that last forty seconds, but the clock strikes zero. They attempt like a sixty five or eight yard field goal or something. I don't even think it made it to the end zone on the the final play of the game, and. There you are, your senior season, walk it off, national champions for the first time in the history of the university and, and also just for yourself in your final collegiate game. What, what was running through your mind in those, in those minutes and hours following that championship? It was, it was a feeling of, of uh, you know, it was really a feeling of completion. You know, we had, we had set that goal very early. And when I say um, – really adamantly we had said it that that year but it really traveled all the way back to when we were we were freshmen on the on the on the scout team there was that core group of individuals between matt wells and and dave and myself that we we saw something even in those that earliest year that we felt we had something we had we felt like we really could do something with uh, the group of people that had been put together there and to finally get to the pinnacle and to achieve it was um, almost not a sense of so much elation, but a sense of just uh, of, of getting the job done that we, we felt we should be able to do. And obviously the, the, to me, in my perspective, the true, the true celebration and euphoria came when we got back to Missoula and were with the, the, you know the the fans that had shown up on the tarmac when the plane arrived. I mean, I think it was like four o'clock in the morning or three thirty. It was it was some crazy hour when we got back, and it was a complete surprise. And to see the community come out in that kind of uh, of a support was something that I'll remember for the rest of my life. Managing the security of your business network is a full-time job. Why not take it off your daily list of things to think about and call Blackfoot Communications? With Blackfoot Managed Security Services, you can tap into our expertise to deploy, maintain, and monitor your network security from the edge to the endpoint. Spend no more time worrying about safe business transactions and communications. Call today, 541-5000, or go to blackfootbusiness.com. Blackfoot, connect to more. Sports is so much about setting goals, chasing goals, achieving goals, but often the best lessons in sports are when you set goals that then maybe you don't achieve, but learning how to get back up and, and persevere no matter what the adversity might be. But to set a goal like you just said when you were such a young person and your, your group of guys as teenagers and then to fulfill that several years later in this pivotal moment that represented not only your team but your university as well as the state of Montana – that must have been an incredible feeling. But what, what was that feeling like, knowing that you had actually broken through and achieved this ultimate goal? Yeah, it it it, it was uh, it was it was a feeling. It was a feeling that really is unlike you know unlike anything that you have in your life. It was it's something that you work so hard towards, but to to be in a team in a team setting it's a, it's a community that really comes together to, to get it done. And as we, as we moved on after that season, you know, we had several um, like large pep rallies in the, in the, in the field house and, and then some of the award ceremonies later on. Um, it, it just remained that way, just a really, um, really warm sense of community and a, a feeling of accomplishment that, that went beyond just the individual and and uh and and uh, you know spread out uh to uh to a large number of individuals in the the community that had come together to get it done 
for you personally, Eric, you finish up your senior year. You're an All-American offensive lineman. Obviously, there's precedent set with especially offensive linemen from the University of Montana, notably Scott Gregg, going on to the NFL. But you had just had you know, your first child and so on. So when you finished school, when you finished uh, 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 your football career at Montana, what happened? What, what, what transpired and what choices did you make about what to do next? I had um, I had uh, suffered a couple of injuries uh, during that senior year that caused me to to slide a little bit. Um, I I've garnered quite a bit of interest from the NFL over the last uh, couple of years of my career there, and of course with them large interest in Scott on the on the right tackle position, they were looking very closely at me, and quite a few teams had shown a lot of interest in drafting me. Um, after the season, um, I had uh, garnered quite a few workouts. I went to the NFL Combine and um, ended up sliding down the draft board low enough to where it, it, it was actually a benefit to me to go into the free agent market and try to pick my um, pick my trajectory. And so, after after the season and after the draft, my agent Ken Staniger, uh it was great great individual RIP for Ken, but he, um, he and I sat down, we looked at the teams that had offers on the table for me. <clears throat> and at the time, I think there was probably seven offers. Three of them were really serious ones. And I picked, um, we just decided that Philadelphia Eagles uh, had the best, had the best situation for me to fit into and to the best probability for me to be successful. Well, when I went out to Philly, I ended up uh, getting into a the situation uh, where it had changed by the time I got there. They had brought in a couple of young coaches, up-and-comers, by the name of John Gruden and Bill Callahan to handle uh, the offensive uh, coordinator position and the offensive line coach. And so things changed pretty quickly for me at that point where they were um, building towards uh, what they felt was a Super Bowl Super Bowl team, and they did end up winning the NFC Championship, but they ended up bringing in a couple of uh, big-name free agents, one Steve Wallace from San Francisco and then Richard Cooper out of New Orleans, and it just squeezed me out of the situation to where um, once that fell through and I saw the writing on the wall, I decided to retreat back to uh, the home ranch, and then from there I had several opportunities to go back um, to try out for other teams, but my son being uh, of, of a young age, I, I decided it was time for me to start a family. And uh, at that point, I decided to return to the ranch. And as you ranch today, the cycle uh, of everything, it's interesting as we talk here in 2020, the, what has been the cyclical nature of sports has been interrupted and there's no football in the Big Sky Conference as we're talking right now. There's no Grizz football that's happening at this moment. And you find out, okay, well, these are sort of the establishments of, you know, society, of culture and so forth, which are great, which we enjoy. But on the ranch, life doesn't seem all that interrupted, right? You're back to another fall harvest and you've been doing this year in and year out. What sort of, I don't know, I don't know if comfort is the right word, but um, naturalness is there to doing what it is that you do and regardless of what's going on in sort of other areas of life of the wider world where there seems to be such interruptions and such problems you can't really stop winter from coming can you yeah no there's definitely forces that are greater than all of us that uh, that are unavoidable and and uh, that's one thing when I look back on my playing days coach Reed really really inspired kind of that, uh, that, uh, existential, uh, calmness that you deal, you deal with things as they come to you. And I've, I've used that approach through my entire life. He, he really said, how do you deal with adversity? You know, how do you, how do you eat an elephant? You know, it's one bite, you know, joke one bite at a time. He'd, he'd use that line to till, you know, you'd want to, you just want to turn him off, but it, there's so much truth in those in those in those old readisms as we call them, and the way that he taught us, you know, how to live our lives and how to approach daily life. We've got all these disruptions and distractions that are that are coming at us daily now, but there there are 
are are steady and constant all around us that uh, that never change and never will change. And I think that that's the focus that we should maintain in this this time of uncertainty. It's wonderful advice and wonderful perspective, and I love hearing that. And Eric, we'll get you out of here on this. The moment that you guys were able to break through and beat Marshall, the reason we're doing this is not just because of the 25th anniversary, but because of the the watershed moment that was, not only for Montana football, but for the city of Missoula, Western Montana, the state of Montana as a whole, and quite frankly, probably the Big Sky Conference as well. And uh, it, it seems so interesting to me that you talk about getting knocked down and fighting your way back and, and trying to achieve this ultimate goal and then and finally and ultimately doing that and, and winning the national championship. But the dynamic, it shifted so starkly for the University of Montana from that point forward. The Grizz went from the team that was trying to reach the mountaintop, the lovable underdog, so to speak, to then the team that everybody had a target on their backs. They were the Goliath. The Grizz are the ones that are expected to win the national championship year in and year out. And that's been the bar that's existed at the University of Montana for 25 years. And the fact that you guys were able to break through and and be the ones that sort of set that standard that has then lasted for a quarter of a century, do you take good pride in that? I mean, what does that mean to you, to know that you guys are kind of the ones that laid the foundation for what modern Grizz football has become? Yeah, I, I, I do take great pride in that. And I think that there's a lot of, a lot of people involved in that entire process who truly take great pride in that. You know, the, the old adage that they bleed copper and, co- copper and gold is uh, it's something that holds true in, in a lot of people in, in that community and in, in, in that uh, university uh, system there. It's, it's something that there was pride already there. And to, to achieve the pinnacle of the 95 championship as being the little, the little guy that could, and to watch that evolve into um, the, this mountain of a system of, uh, you know, always having the target on their backs, but still being able to hold true to that, to that core, that core resiliency and that, that, that core of, of good people doing the right things is uh is something that that i take great pride in and as i watch the watch the teams you know in the in the past and moving forward i feel very good about where the university is i i feel like um the the ship is is being steered in the right direction and am hopeful for hopeful for the future and and look forward to seeing where it goes eric simonson university of montana offensive lineman all-American national champion and Plentywood rancher. Eric, thank you so much. Go Grizz. This has been Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 national champions presented by Blackfoot Communications and First Security Bank. Subscribe to the Grizz Greats podcast and it will come to you all through the rest of the 2020 calendar year as we continue to release all 25 episodes of the Grizz Greats podcast series. You can also go to grizzgreats.com and play each episode right there on the website. Until next time, our thanks to Eric Simonson for joining us on this episode and our thanks to you for listening.